there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I don't know about you guys, but for me, a game is 10 times more exciting when I'm putting my money on it. Sometimes I have a gut feeling about a matchup, and sometimes I'm just betting on my team because, well, they're my team. Regardless, whether you've been betting for years or you're ready to play for the first time, my bookie is your best bet this season. If you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little to win a lot, try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. So if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag because no one gives you more ways to win. If you really want to support your team this season, don't just sit on the sidelines. Get in the game with mybookie.ag. And if you join right now, MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code CHAIR, that's C-H-A-I-R, to activate the offer. That's promo code CHAIR, C-H-A-I-R, to double your cash. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Boys, it's Jeremy W. Miller. Neil, the rebound. Kevin Ollie brings it up. Throws it across. Miller for three. Over the rebound for his ninth. 18 points, nine rebounds, six oh. assists from Shea. Oh, oh the chicken! Double time! Miles Turner! Yeah! Welcome to the NBA, my friend! Turner sets the screen. Oh, 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 no. oh, oh no. right Don't let him throw it down like that! Victor on the deep phone. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Born Ready to Pod Podcast. Welcome to episode 77 of the Born Ready to Pod podcast. I am Chris Cook. Here with me, as always, Eric Hawk. And Hawk, before I get this episode started, I would be remiss. Fill us all in, myself included, about this bus trip that you took last weekend. I'm, I'm very interested to see how this came about and, and what actually went down. Yeah, so my buddy... He bought a uh, an old school bus, painted black, got the chop tops off the back, and we ripped out some seats in it, put a carpet down, a couch. It's got a little table in there, and we just took it to Evansville because he's from Evansville, and we went down to his place in Evansville, and we just we basically just drove it around and drank on the bus, and you know we had a sober driver of course, but we went all over the place, all out in the middle of nowhere to Kentucky. We just drove a bus around all weekend, and it was it was a great experience. And there's going to be many more bus trips upcoming. I think we're taking it to Georgia next month, so the bus is going to go all over the world. It's just the beginning for the bus gang. So there was only three riders on the bus then. There's only three, and then we met some people in Evansville that they knew, and then you know the bus always grows. You park it anywhere, 
we had people coming up all the time asking us about the bus, asking to come on the bus, look at the bus. So the bus is a big hit. You take a bus anywhere, you're going to get people's heads turning. Yeah, absolutely. I was. I found out about it. Uh, obviously, you'd post about it, but I found out about it because I was at a wedding Saturday night, and I was approached by a male at the uh, bar at the wedding, and he goes, he looks at me, and I mean, I've seen this guy before, but I don't know who he, I mean, I don't know him, um, and he he points to me, and he goes, born ready to pod, right? And, you know, it's kind of that first, not first, because I shouldn't say it's the first time that we've been recognized in public, but being recognized in public, and then I come to find out that, you know, it, it kind of, uh, my excitement went away because I found out that he knew who you were. And he said that he saw you on a bus trip this weekend. So that's how I found out. Um, found out because I thought, you know, this is really cool. You know, this guy knows who I am from the podcast, but turns out he just knows who you are and was bragging about the bus. So, um, not What's the. This guy's name? I don't even know. I didn't know if you ever told me who it was. Uh, Kale Rourke, I believe, is his name. I don't want to know if I want to mm, give that. Okay. Got yeah. So, so I'm just a fan. Yeah. And uh, I mean that's. That's that's not one of the worst things that you know happened at the wedding was I don't know if you saw my story about what went down at my table with the food flinging but probably one of the most embarrassing moments I've had in my life was so we're at this wedding and it's not a wedding that I went to cuz I knew anybody involved so I'm just kind of there because I'm my wife's date and um it's at this Italian restaurant called the Bel, Bel Air in Kokomo and so they serve for dinner a piece of chicken with some white sauce um they serve some lasagna and then also some mashed potatoes so the spread was really good not complaining whatsoever about the food um but i had a few drinks i'm not gonna lie i was feeling pretty good going into the wedding but i had some downtime in between where you know when you're waiting on the wedding party to get done and all that uh in between and the long line at the bars that my buzz kind of wore off so this wasn't any result of alcohol um, but you know, the food arrives and I start eating and I'm at this table with a couple of my friends, my wife, and then four or five people that I absolutely don't know who they are. I've never seen them in my life. And I'm cutting into this piece of chicken and all of a sudden, I don't know if my fork slips out of my hand or whatnot, what happens? I, I look up and on my shirt, there's just this big splatter of red lasagna sauce. I'm like, Oh my God. I said, this is bad. And then I look up, and the two women next to me have lasagna sauce all over their face. Um, <laughs> I don't know how it happened, what it came came to happen, but apparently my fork slipped or something, and the lasagna just shot right at – I'm fine with it hitting me, but then when you look up and you see it on these two women's faces, uh, definitely one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. And then we were in the corner – it even got so far as it went onto the wall and the door at the back. So it went like probably 10 yards. I'm not even joking with you. That's how far this lasagna shot. So uh, I, I, what did these women say? Well, you could tell the one, the one lady, she was older. You could tell she was pissed at the start. Uh, the other lady that was sitting right next to me, she was, uh, she was a lot younger and she just kept cracking up laughing about it. So inside, I know she wanted to whoop my ass and she hated me, but the outside of her was way too nice to be like, dude, you're, you're a piece of shit. So I, I, I commend her for her attitude. Um, it made it a lot easier, but still, 
Uh, it was quite embarrassing. And about 10, 15 minutes after that, they all left the table. So I was definitely a big reason for them leaving the wedding early, I feel like. so. Yeah, well, I mean, congratulations. It sounds like you made a total ass of yourself. I love that. <laughs> yeah, so I, I had to share that with, uh, with all our listeners. But anyways... On to some topics that are even worse th- to discuss than flinging lasagna on someone you don't know at a wedding is the Pacers losing streak. Um, you know, six-game losing streak. Everybody knows about it. Uh, we've all been talking about it over the last week and a half. Um, it all started last Saturday uh, when they lost to the Knicks. Um, since then, they've lost to Dallas, Toronto twice. They've lost tr- the Raptors at home and in Toronto. Uh, they've lost to the Pelicans, and then on Monday night, they lost to the Nets. So 1-6 since Victor Oladipo has returned to the lineup, the last win being the Chicago Bulls game that we had attended a week and a half ago. So we all knew that you know the team was probably going to struggle at first. They had been preaching that you know there's going to be three different seasons uh, without Oladipo adjusting to him in the lineup, and after that, when they get things going, so... We knew there would be some rough patches, but has this exceeded what your expectation of how bad things could get seven games into it? You know, this is kind of like, it's the worst scenario, you know, thinking about it. Can't get much worse in the seven-game span. You know, the Bulls have lost like six in a row as well, so that win isn't even like an impressive win. You shouldn't be counting that necessarily as a good win. It's a win win and whatever, you know, but... You know, the Bucks. that's a seven, seventh straight loss, in my opinion. It's going to be impossible to beat them. A lot of things contributing to this. Slow starts, poor rebounding. Brogdon's looked off at times. Rotational things, you know, getting sorted out. Not executing late. It's just all kind of looked bad. You know, we seem to start bad, fight, fight the whole game, keep it close, and then we just can't close down the road it seems like we don't really know who the closer is right now warren you know brogdon sabonis victor all those guys have that in them that makes it seem like they all want to go get it but it just doesn't seem to work so who knows it's i think this is the longest losing streak we've had since we started this podcast isn't it yeah i think so and another interesting note i had here was it's uh it was reported or saw it on twitter that it's the first five game losing streak at home for the Pacers since the 2007-2008 team. So they hadn't lost five games in a row at home. Obviously, they've lost six games in a row. Five of those, though, have been at home, and that's the first time in 12 years that that has happened. So it's not a, you know, it's a very rare occurrence that the Pacers are dropping this many games at home, no matter how good or bad the team is. Um, so when do you think uh, would be the right time, and you might already be there, but what would you advise as, you know, time to get in panic mode? Is it now, or is it if they continue to lose games after the All-Star break? Because you've already stated you think they're going to lose to the Bucks. so um, are you in panic mode now, or are you just going to give it a couple games after the All-Star break before you start pressing buttons? We, we all need the All-Star break. We all need a break. Things haven't been going well late. You know, the panic button for me, I got my hand above it. And, you know, people, after this seventh loss, I think a lot of people are going to be hitting it. But it's the Bucks, so let's calm down. They only have seven losses. Let's see if they can at least get one win going into the All-Star break. It's not looking good, but I don't know. If they keep losing after the All-Star break, 
you think the season's pretty much over because we're going to get, you know, the seventh seed. I, I don't think we'll fall to the eighth, but sixth, seventh seed. And then we're going to have to play Toronto. We're going to have to play probably not the Bucks, but, that, I mean, that could still happen. Or Philadelphia. I mean, we're going to have to play a team I don't think we can beat in a series, especially the way we've been playing. So, yeah, I would hit the panic button if in that case just because we've seen this play out, what, the last two seasons – we fought hard all year. We've been close, and then we just lose in the first round. So if you just want that again, then, I mean, don't hit the panic button. But I think that's where we're headed right now. Yeah, so you, you make a good point there, uh, seeding-wise. So now they're eight games behind uh, the Celtics, who are currently the number three seed. So in my opinion, it kind of looks like the three seed is out the window at this point. I wouldn't even discuss that even being an option. Uh, they're four games behind the Heat, who are currently at number four. So, I mean, still a decent, uh, you know, wedge in between those two teams, um, but still a lot more possible than the three seed. So, I guess ideal scenario is if you're uh, optimistic, you are having hopes still in for the four seed. But at this point, the number three seed is just out the door. Um, and then they're two games behind the Sixers, who are number five. So. Four through six, I think, is logical uh, seeding-wise for this team. But then you also bring up the seven seed and the Nets, who they lost to uh, Monday night. Now they're only six games ahead of Brooklyn at number seven. So, you know, they they have a decent, uh, you know, wedge there in between them and Brooklyn. Six games ahead of them uh, in the standings. So, I mean, it's a good thing they've won all those games prior to Oladipo coming back, because if not, things could be a lot worse right now. Um, but I, I'm not hitting the panic mode quite yet. I, I I do not anticipate them beating the Milwaukee Bucks, as you have said. So I'm uh, going into that game, I'm, I'm counting on a seven-game losing streak. So I, I guess I won't panic. If they come out and then the games after the break, at New York is the first game, at Toronto – versus Charlotte, versus Portland, and at Cleveland. So, you know, it's a very – another – we've seen the schedule here recently. We said these are winnable games, um, and obviously they've lost. But that stretch of five games is not very difficult, and I think you have to at least go 4-1 and one, uh, against those opponents. I mean, you're playing New York again in New York. You should win that. Uh, Toronto will be tough in Toronto, but they've proved they could, you know, they could win there. Uh, and then Charlotte, Portland, and at Cleveland. So, I mean, if they go, what, under 500, I guess that would be, you know, a, a cause for concern there in those five games right after the break. Yeah, I can see Andre Jumman just absolutely putting a hurting on us after, like, a big win in Toronto and just being like, Jesus, where did this – that run's totally over. But, yeah, you, it's hard to say. I think uh, – I think we've all kind of dwindled expectations a little bit. We thought we maybe were close to the two seed, and now that's not even an option. So this really sucks, and it's boring now. So I hate it. Yeah, and I will say this, though. If if you do get in that 3-6 matchup, so they're not going to get in the three seed, but if you do get that and somehow make it out the first round, the silver lining is there that you wouldn't have to play the Bucks in the second round. So maybe they're just losing on purpose, you know? Yeah, maybe. I don't hate that. Um, that's definitely not the case. They just suck right now. But uh, optimistic thinking right there. Um, another point here that I wanted to make, uh, the last uh, you know, six games, uh, they've been terrible defensively. And so um, they've been giving up 
on the season, you know, a few weeks ago, they're giving up about 105, 106 points per game. Um, that number has increased to over 111 points per game over the last six games. So um, they've been giving up tons of points compared to what they have been. Um, and the other thing is, too, is, uh, you know, a lot of these games have been close. Like, they haven't gotten blown out in any of these losses. All the games have been close. They've come down to the final four or five minutes. So the other thing I want to bring up, too, is it's it's been – the players are definitely, you know, they need to be held accountable for this. Brogdon, you mentioned, has struggled. Um, Oladipo is still getting the rhythm of things. I think he's – uh, I think he's actually played a lot better than I anticipated him to to start off. Uh, and then you had the TJ Warren concussion coming back from that. Sabonis and Turner, whatever's going on between those guys and the minutes that Turner's been given in the fourth quarter. So from them and then the coaching staff, you know, uh, McMillan, uh, obviously his late game execution. Uh, you know, Dan Burke, he gets you know, touted as this defensive genius and look what's happened lately. So what do you think, you know, the late late game execution, would you blame it more on the coaching staff or do you think that the players are just putting themselves in bad position with their piss poor play? It's got a little bit of both, like most things in these situations, but I mean, I would blame the coaching staff more specifically because, which game was it where Oladipo missed, got his own rebound, clearly got fouled, but Nate had the opportunity to call a timeout, and he didn't. What game was that? That was at Toronto. Yeah, that was the at Toronto game, of course. So a game we could have easily, should have easily won. You know, that was a big coaching error, in my opinion. You clearly saw your guy had no chance of getting another look. Four or five seconds left on the clock. He had a timeout. And then just, you mentioned it, lineups have been weird at times, and you know, I just, I don't know. It's hard to just blame Nate because I think he's done a better job. Up until this losing streak, we'd all agree, like, Nate's kind of done pretty well, you know. And then you get your all-star back and, what, he just loses it? You know, it's just it's kind of inexplainable to me right now, and uh, hopefully they can shake it. But, uh, you know, like I've said, I'm a little pessimistic. And, you know, if, if this continues, I could see Nate losing his job just because next year would be the year with all these pieces that you supposedly think you have and have shown at times, you know, it's kind of a make or break year would be next year, especially with all the depot coming up in free agency. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, they, they moved on from him if this continued, but at the same time, I think if they can write the ship, he's still going to be the coach here long term. So I don't know how much it really matters right now, at least. Yeah. I mean, he definitely, He's. I would put more emphasis on him, and then also, I mean, it, the players haven't really looked like they've given much of an effort over the losing streak, especially on the defensive end. But I would say, I mean, Nate in, in those crunch time situations, and it stems from years past. He's never had, you know, a good, uh, you know, he's never been known for late game execution, X's and O's, and things like that. He's no Brad Stevens in those types of situations. But last, or excuse me, Monday night against the Nets was completely and utterly inexcusable. Um, the Nets, uh, we so you know, first off, we blow a lead there, four point lead with a couple minutes left. Gave up a wide open three to Joe Harris. Uh, obviously, I blame that on the team defensively. There was you know some miscommunication, whatever might have happened, but 
the Pacers still had a chance to win that game. They were down by one point, three seconds left. And you as a coaching staff need to know in that situation uh, the fouls on each side. Um, and that's because Brooklyn, they had a foul to give in that situation. So um, what had happened was they run the play. Oladipo comes up to the top of the key. And I don't remember who fouled him, but directly right after the inbound pass is thrown in, they had a play drawn up for Oladipo to take the last shot. And whoever it was fouled him. It might have been Spencer Dinwiddie, but that's kind of irrelevant. Uh, and then you can just tell right after that happened, Pacers had, you know, two seconds left on the clock. And, you know, they just have no idea what they're doing. Uh, Brogdon inbounds the ball to Sabonis. Um, and he comes to receive the ball back from him and just chucks up a three that had no chance of going in. I believe he was double team, but like they had no second play ready to go in that situation. So I kind of feel like, you know, that's something you might see from, you know, middle school or something like that. But as a professional coach and you have these guys and resources available to you to say, Hey, look, you know, I don't expect him to know the fouls, but someone needs to tell him that, whoever's in charge of that. How, I guess I'm just kind of clueless how they didn't have another play drawn up in that situation. Yeah, and I was listening to the broadcast and the radio broadcast, and even Mark Boyle said they had a foul to give. So if Mark Boyle's calling that out, maybe we should just put him on the sideline and he can be the guy that calls fouls for Nate. But yeah, like you said, they clearly had no idea what to do there at the end, and to me, that's one you got to give your best guy that to pass her taking the ball out, and you got to try to get the ball to either Old Depot or Brogdon and have them just do a one shot, you know, one dribble. You got two seconds. You're not going to be able to get off multiple passes or get the ball back more than likely. So, it's weird, and uh, definitely has not been great. Yeah, I mean, you might you would have been better off just running that same damn play over again. Um, I mean you might as well have with, with what happened there at the end of the game. So, um, you know, we've seen from this team uh, kind of – we had talked about it before the trade deadline, and we're going to get into, you know, those moves here in the next segment, uh, the other trades that, were, that actually went down. Uh, but the Pacers stood pat at the deadline, even though you and I and many other fans had suggested, and obviously we're not general managers. There's a reason why we do a podcast and we're not in the front office. But still, uh, it's apparent to a lot of people that the Pacers need to resolve uh, their backup big man issue. Uh, Goga has not really proven that he can give you quality minutes at this point in his career. I'm not saying he can never do that. But we were told this man was going to be NBA ready from the get-go, and he just hasn't shown that. So uh, the Pacers chose to, you know, set it out. They didn't do anything at the deadline, no moves. And um, I don't know if they plan on testing the buyout market. Obviously, they'd have to cut somebody and figure that out to clear up a roster spot. So uh, are you disappointed they didn't do anything, or were you just kind of expecting that and you didn't really care? You know, I'm disappointed because – it seems every year teams that know they have a legit shot, or at least every year recently, go out and get a, another piece. You know, Marcus all last year, Philly got a little better on the bench. They didn't do much. You know, the Clippers went and got it. You know, the Lakers at least thought they were going to get Darren Collison after it. Apparently he's not even coming back. 
but you know all these contenders kind of tried to do something or at least seemed active and you know i never got the sense the pacers were seriously going to do anything and if this was next if this was next year that this happened i think we'd have more moves because we have a we'd have more expiring contracts next year at the end of the season so it's just this year it just didn't happen and you know we have a lot of pieces that we're hopeful for young guys especially Aaron Holiday a guy that would be trade bait and we just didn't want to get rid of him apparently which is which is fine i'm not saying that's the only way to do it but you know it never seems like we we do anything at the trade deadline so it is what it is yeah and i um i think this offseason is going to be very important. I was not expecting the Pacers to do a big move, so I didn't expect them to trade, you know, like Miles Turner, even though apparently there were other teams reaching out to try to pry him away. I expect if they made that type of deal uh, with Miles, it wasn't going to be in season. It's going to be something that would be discussed uh, in the off season if they were to talk about dealing him. Um, and with the way Nate McMillan has been playing him, and you know, yet last night he had a good game against the Nets. He was uh, scoring wise, he was doing a good job defensively. He was solid, and then Nate sat him the whole entire fourth quarter. So as a player that has to get to you. Um, wondering why he's not out there, and obviously Sabonis has outplayed them, outplayed him. That's not up for debate. Um, obviously Miles is a way better defender, but Sabonis has has been uh, outplaying uh, Miles Turner this season. So I don't know. I I guess that's just something I feel like they're gonna have to talk about in the off season. Maybe Miles is gonna want to get out because. Uh, he wants more minutes down the stretch, and he wants more opportunities on offense. So I think it's going to be an interesting summer, and I know I'm getting ahead of myself because we have another two and a half months and playoffs coming up. But, I mean, you have the McMillan decision. Uh, I feel like, you know, with him, if you get another first-round exit and you lose in five five games or less, I mean, you have to consider moving on from him. Even, you know, a six- or seven-game series, a first-round loss is just – I mean, I, I don't want to get complacent with those, that around here. I don't want that to be the thing, which it seems like it has been over the past few years. So I, I don't – I think that, you know, definitely Nate Nate is definitely up for debate. Um, I know he's friends with Kevin Pritchard, but you have to look at that and can't accept the fact that, you know, first-round losses is going to be the thing around here each year. Uh, you have Miles as a storyline in the offseason. Aaron Holiday as well. Um uh, what they they could unload him for some assets in the offseason. So, I mean, there's a ton of things. And then you have Oladipo's free agency next season. Um, I think when it comes down to it, I think he re-signs in Indiana. But you have to prove to him that you're committed to winning. So they're going to have to do more things this offseason to, to continue to build this roster and figure out, you know, how these pieces all fit together. But, you know, I, I'm – I'm a little disappointed they didn't do anything at the deadline specifically with that backup big man. Maybe they test the buyout market over the next couple of weeks and see what happens. But uh, going with Goga as your third big man just didn't seem like the right move to me. This is the first time I legitimately thought Nate was on the hot seat a little bit. I thought he's dodged things well. You know, he had the injury last year. Couldn't really blame anything on him. But this is the I actually think he might be on the hot seat legitimately now. Yeah, and uh, I mean, he definitely needs to be if 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 he can get things back on track with this team. Obviously, we're going to quit talking about that, and uh, you know, some people will move on. But right now, that seat's hot. I don't think he, he's not going to get fired in season. Don't expect that to happen. They're not going to Jim O'Brien his ass. He's he's going to be the coach through the season. Um, but 
if you know the Pacers get the six or seven seed and they get swept in the first round or losing five games, you can't tell me as Kevin Pritchard you can't sell that to the fans that he needs to stay another season. I, I it's just it would be mind boggling to me. So in other years past, he could have got away with it. Last season with the injury, he did get away with it. But this season, if if you get beat easily in the first round, I don't see there any chance that you can explain to me that he deserves to be the coach next year. No, I don't think so. I think he's he's probably a top 30 NBA coach. He could definitely get another job, even if it was an assistant right away. But I, I would totally agree. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know what all is going to be out there. You know, there's always diamonds in the rough waiting. You had Nick Nurse, who had sat on the sidelines there, Toronto for years. Uh, and then they brought him up, and then look what happened. So, I mean, there's never... There's never, you know, it's not always like there's a big name out there that you can go get, but a lot of these assistant coaches are waiting in the wings and they're ready to go, and you might not have heard of them before, but that doesn't mean that they can't be a quality coach. So uh, don't think that just because the there's no names out there that you know that could replace McMillan, that, that doesn't mean that there aren't coaches that could. So, um, Steve Gansey. Yeah, Steve Gansey, call him up from the Mad Ants. Let's get him up on the roster or on the coaching staff. So. Uh, anyways, I am I am praying that they they pull it out against the Bucks. I'm not uh, I'm not gonna I don't think they will. I'm not gonna bet on them doing that. But last question before we move into around the association: If they somehow beat the Milwaukee Bucks, will you erase this losing streak from your mind going into the All Star break? No, I won't. But it's a great win, and it's something I don't think anybody can really do i think i said this in our preview blog i'm writing that the central division as a whole has lost 20 games going into tuesday night's games 20 games other than the bucks in a row so the whole division's doing terrible besides the bucks and i, I think they're a legit wagon and a contender to win it all right now yeah so I, it would be an impressive win kind of pull things together right before the break would be great but I, I don't really see it yeah, I don't see it as erasing the – obviously, it would be a great, excellent win, um, one of the best wins of the season if they were able to pull it out. But obviously, yes, it doesn't erase the losing streak, but it could be a good stepping stone for confidence-wise when you get out of the break. You have a week and a half off. You're a lot happier that you just got a win under your belt. Um, and then, you know, come next Friday when they play the Knicks in that five-game stretch, maybe it will give them more confidence going into those games. Uh after beating, you know, the best team in the NBA. So, and then also other news with that is Giannis. I don't, I, I, I don't think he'll miss the game, but he just had a child born Monday night. So there's, you know, there's that aspect too. Maybe he misses the game. Maybe they get lucked out with him missing, but still they're going to be a tough game regardless. Yeah. Hopefully he misses, but he missed the Sacramento game. He doesn't seem like a guy that's going to miss multiple games, but you never know. First son, they have 40 wins already. 40-some wins, why not? You know, there's no reason for him to play. I, I saw a quote before we got on that Nate McMillan said, I hope he sits out another game. So that's where we are right now. Yeah. Yep. So uh, very depressing times here as a Pacers fan, but hopefully we can get through it over in the next couple weeks. But like Hawk said, we need the all-star break now more than ever um, because this team just needs some time off. So that's going to wrap up this first part here. Uh, coming up next, we have Around the Association. It's time for Around the Association, presented by Born Ready. 
All right. Uh, all right. So today's episode of Around the Association is special edition NBA tra- trade deadline edition. We weren't with you guys last week to go over the deals, but we are here now. So we're going to go through all these, uh, all the big deals and some of the smaller deals. And I'm going to review all those with you and ask you, who you what you think of the trade and who you think won the deal. So first off. The Golden State Warriors traded D'Angelo Russell to the Minnesota Timberwolves in a deal last week that sent Andrew Wiggins to Golden State. The Warriors also received a 2020 top three protected first round draft pick and a future second round pick. So what were your thoughts on that deal and who do you think got the better of it? Well, Russell's been rumored to Minnesota for ever since last offseason, so... This is one of those deals everyone kind of predicted was going to happen. No one really knew what the return was going to be. You knew Wiggins had to be in there just to match contracts. And, you know, the rumor is Devin Booker wants to play with him too when he's done there. So we'll see what happens long-term with that. But I've never been a fan of Andrew Wiggins, really. I think he's been pretty bad in his NBA career. I think the beginning of this season was his best stretch, and he's kind of leveled back off. You know, I don't really think he was ever worthy of that number one overall pick or hasn't lived up to it. So, you know, you get that top three protected pick. That's nice. Other than that, I, I I think I'd rather have D'Angelo Russell, especially after he hit what? 10 threes on him when we played this year. Yeah. He made an insane amount of threes, nine or 10 of them against us. But yeah, I I would say Wiggins has definitely, uh, he's definitely disappointed. Um, in his uh, after being the number one overall pick, uh, I do like the fact that the Warriors also got a top three, uh, well, top three protected first round pick. So I'm not sure where the Timberwolves currently are at on the standings, um, but I mean they're not the you know one of the very worst teams in the league. So that should be another first round pick that they get there, um, and then they'll have their pick as well. So I think. Golden State has set themselves up for a nice, not saying they're going to win the title, but they're going to be a solid team next season with, uh, you know, Steph back, Clay, uh, Draymond, and now they have Andrew Wiggins and then also some draft picks. So uh, I think Wiggins is a better fit than D'Angelo Russell was in Golden State, and I think that Russell is a better fit in Minnesota than Andrew Wiggins was. So I think this was a win-win for both teams. But since I can't cop out, I'm going to go with the Warriors as winning this deal. All right, I'm going to pick the Timberwolves, so we're at a, a tie. All right. Uh, next up, the Cleveland. I th- we both have the same answer on this one, so don't. I mean, everybody who's listening better have the same answer. But anyways, the Cleveland Cavaliers finalized the deal last week to receive Andre Drummond from the Detroit Pistons. The Cavaliers sent over John Henson, Brandon Knight, who once played for the Pistons earlier in his career and a second-round pick in 2023 uh, for Drummond. Thoughts, and who won? you got to say the Cavs won. They just got off some you know, bad contracts, average players, and they got the greatest rebounding center of all time You know, that's never really played with any good guards, and that's what they're trying to do is build some young guards. I think they might have a similar situation with Drummond, you know, and Beeline, maybe not totally buying into his system so we'll see but you know Detroit who knows what Detroit is ever doing so 
I, I don't think Blake will resign there, and maybe that's a good thing for Detroit with his injury history, but Detroit's just one of those weird franchises that who knows. And they're gonna, they got Christian Wood coming up. He's been playing pretty well, so that's the direction they're going to go. So I would say Cleveland won. Would you agree, or am I the crazy one? No, you were absolutely right on that. Cleveland won this trade uh, when it comes down to you know these two teams and this deal. But did they really really win the trade? That's up for debate. But when it comes to this deal, the uh, Pistons completely mor- moronic move. I have no idea what they were thinking. Um, Drummond, I believe, only has one more year left on his contract, and it's a player option. So he's going to opt into that because he saw what he just got traded for. He saw what Clint Capella got traded for, and he knows that you know people aren't going to pay him that much money. Uh, on his next contract for for what he expects. So he's going to be a, in a Cavaliers uh, uniform next season. So maybe the Pistons were just trying to get off of that for next year. I don't know. If you had to deal with him for one more year and then you let him go or you trade him next season, I feel like you could have got a better haul. I feel like you could have got a better haul just letting him play for the next two seasons. It made, it made no sense to me uh, whatsoever. Uh, Drummond is, you know, he's got his limitations. He can't shoot and he's more of a, you know, a big man that you would see in the past, but he's not, he's worth a lot more than John Henson, Brandon Knight and a second round draft pick. So that was a completely inexcusable move there by the Pistons. Um, and you had mentioned Blake Griffin there. So listen to this, Blake Griffin, he had signed that deal with the Clippers before getting traded, which is one of the all time shittiest moves by the Clippers organization, by the way, that. Uh, Blake Griffin is now stuck in Detroit, but Blake Griffin this season hasn't played much uh, and is out for the rest of the year. He makes $34 million this season, and his contract isn't up until 2022. Of course, he has a player option, but he's going to opt into it because he's not an idiot. Next season, he makes $36.5 million, and the year after that, Blake Griffin makes $39 million. So he is getting paid for the next two or three seasons. Uh, but he's going to be getting paid in Detroit, and that contract, in my eyes, is pretty much not movable unless he comes back next season and you know he can get back to some form of his old self. But that Blake Gr- Griffin contract is nasty. They're going to be stuck with that, so that's why it just didn't make any sense to me to move off Drummond when you only had at most one more season where you had to pay him. So clear loser in my eyes is, is the Pistons, but also the Cavaliers. That doesn't make much sense to me. Um Obviously, you, you trade for him because uh, you didn't give up much, but now they have Kevin Love, uh, Andre Drummond, and Tristan Thompson. I mean, the all-time rebounders in the league right there for sure, but it just doesn't make much sense to me. No, not at all. Yeah. All right, so make sure you pay attention on this next one. It's a three-team deal. Um, so it went down last week. The Miami Heat, Minnesota Timberwolves, and Memphis Grizzlies – the Heat received Andre Iguodala, Solomon Hill, and Jay Crowder. All three of them were on the Grizzlies. The Timberwolves received James Johnson, who was sent to the Grizzlies, but then traded off to Minnesota. And the Grizzlies received Dion Waiters, Justice Winslow, and Gorgie Jang. Um, and then with this deal, Iguodala also agreed to a two-year, $30 million extension um, as part of the deal with the Heat, so he'll be making $15 million a year for the next two seasons. Um, and that's got a team option for the uh, 
year after next year. So what were your thoughts on this deal? Who do you think got the better end of it? Um, and I, I don't know. I think a lot of people are overrating Andre Iguodala in my eyes. Yeah, I think the winner of this deal is Andre Iguodala. You know, he got to sit out half a season, not do anything, and then get traded in a in a pretty decent haul for him, and then re-signed for what sixty million, like you said. So that to me is wild. I don't think Andre Iguodala today is worth thirty million dollars a year, but we will see. And, you know, for me, I think the Grizzlies win the trade just because you get a young piece and Winslow and you got rid of a guy who wasn't even on your roster, really. So, to me, it's they win. You know, the Heat maybe get a little better with some championship experience, but I don't think it's enough. And then paying him for the next two years, I would not be a fan of if I was a Heat fan. Yeah, um, I think the Heat got better. Um, I don't think Iguodala makes him that much better. He's 36 years old, hasn't played all season, and, I mean, he averaged five points per game last season. So you're not going to get his impact on the offensive end. Whatever he has left will be on the defensive side of the court. So, uh, I mean, they got Solomon Hill and Jay Crowder, who are decent veteran pieces to throw in off the bench. So I think they've improved their bench from that aspect. Um, but the Grizzlies long-term are uh, definitely the winners of this trade. Justice Winslow uh, was drafted in 2015, um, and, you know, he's had some injury history, but, you know, they're trying to go pretty young. They've been building a, a really good roster there to rebuild things in Memphis. So to trade for a young guy like Justice Winslow, I think this makes them the winner long-term of this deal. Um, maybe the Heat. The Heat, really, this this would only impact him for this season. Yep. Yep. So, all right. Uh, another deal here. Um, so, pay attention to this one as well because uh, four teams in this deal. So, a lot going on. The Houston Rockets, they received Robert Covington, Jordan Bell, and a second round draft pick. The Hawks received Clint Capella and Nene. Uh, the Timberwolves received a first round draft pick, Malik Beasley. Juan Hernan Gomez and Evan Turner and Jared Vanderbilt, and then the Nuggets were in on this. They got Kate, Kate's Beta. Is it Kata or Kate's whatever his name is? Bates, Dot Jop. Kate Bates Jop. Yeah. I wrote his name down wrong here for some reason. Anyways, we have him on the suck list. Uh, so uh, he's on there. Noah Vonley, Gerald Green, Shabazz Napier, who is then dealt to the Wizards. So a lot of names going on there. But the clear winner in my eyes is the Atlanta Hawks. What do you say? Yeah, I think the Hawks are overwhelmingly the clear winner. He fits their style of play well. You know, the, I think Houston's just completely – they're just doing something crazy with the small ball, Covington. I mean, right when they got Covington in their first game, they did beat the Lakers. So it's notable. I haven't really paid attention to them the last couple games after that. I don't know if they're doing well still. But, They've you lost. know, we'll see, you know – just shooting a bunch of threes, if you hit them, it's going to work. But I think just from who got the most better and who got the best piece, I think it's the Hawks going with that team paired. Yeah, pairing Capella, you know, that's a nice piece in there with Trey Young. Um, you got all those young guys. So Hawks are clear-cut winners here. Uh, Timberwolves, uh, they didn't really give up much, and they got some decent young guys, a first-round pick, so... I kind of like what they did. Uh, the Rockets, I don't really understand it. It didn't make much sense to me. Playing this small ball, I don't know how that's going to work out. They won a few games doing it, so they think that they're going to try to start a new trend here going forward. But 
you know, I think uh, clear-cut winner in this, obviously, the Atlanta Hawks. Capella is a solid starting center, and I think it made them uh, – not this year they're going to, you know, see dividends pay off of that. It'll be next season. So. Okay, so they got blown out by the Suns in the next game, and then they lost to Utah by one. So I'm going to give it to the Hawks. Yeah. Um, and then just some other small deals. We're not going to discuss them, but some other significant deals. Uh, Warriors, they sent Glenn Robinson the third and Alec Burks to the Sixers for draft picks. So uh, that's just relevant because the Sixers bench was terrible. So they got two decent bench guys uh, for some future picks there. So I, that, that helps out the Sixers and obviously has an impact on the Pacers. Um, Alec Burks more so, I feel like, than GR3. Um, and then the Kings, they uh, acquired Jabari Parker and Alex Lynn from the Atlanta Hawks for Dwayne Dedman. So Dedman had played for the Hawks in years, prior years, uh, signed a pretty decent deal with the Kings, and then they just traded him back there. So uh, those were there were a bunch of other smaller deals, but those were some other significant ones in my eyes um, that we're not going to talk about, but had happened. So. Uh, last up here on the list, this isn't a trade. You had kind of mentioned it earlier. Uh, Darren Collison, who last played for the Pacers during the 18-19 season, was gaining traction to join either Los Angeles team over the last few weeks. Collison retired last summer, but was said to be interested in playing for either the Clippers or Lakers this season. Over the weekend, it was b- reported that Collison will not return to the NBA this season, despite the interest he received from both of those teams. Thoughts and prayers. What do you got to say about that? Yeah, he just didn't want to play, apparently, because you know either one of those teams would be good if you wanted to join a legit contender. I think those are the two in the West that most people would mark as one and two as the favorites. So. I don't really know what Darren Collins is doing. You know, he's just being a Jehovah's Witness, teasing his return. Maybe maybe we'll just do this again next year. Maybe he'll actually be on a roster. Who knows? Has there been more of a hype for a an average point guard that I've I've ever seen? They were acting on like Sports Center and Twitter and things like this that Darren Collison was like Damian Lillard. I I don't know if you felt that way after seeing some of the news, but I felt like they were just hyping him up as like, you know, this next big thing in LA, especially for the Lakers. Yeah, let's be honest. Most people doing this didn't see him play in Indiana at all. They probably just saw we had some success, figured, you know, he's good. We need him on our team. When in reality, you know, what he is, what he is. He's a solid defensive, you know, distributor, can hit the three if he's wide open. You know, a great bench guy for either one of those teams. It would have been a good fit. I think everyone agreed on that. Maybe that's why the hype was there, but definitely not a Damian Lillard type. So Yeah, yep, that's for sure. So, all right, that's going to wrap up around the association there. Um, so, uh, you know, six-game losing streak heading into uh, tonight against the Milwaukee Bucks. Let's hope that ends. But prepare for the worst, and you won't be disappointed, but somehow they'll still disappoint you. Um, All-star break coming up. So the Pacers, I believe, after the Wednesday night game, are off until Friday or Saturday of next week. So they have a week and a half to recover, get back into good spirits, uh, and whatnot. So really, unless something noteworthy happens over the next week, things like that, you probably won't hear from us until the following week. Uh, maybe there'll be some interesting things happening over the All-Star break that we have to decide to record or whatnot, buyout play or things like that. But other than that, we'll probably be back the week after um, once we get some game more game action under our belt. So appreciate you guys listening to episode 77 of the Born Ready to Pod podcast. We will see you guys soon. See ya.